Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. I'm so excited to discuss my sponsor today, which is Page One Books, because my summer book bundle is ready on pageonebooks.com. And the bundle that I've put together includes three books that I picked, uh, Montauk by Nicola Harrison, More Myself by Alicia Keys, and I Miss You When I Blink by Mary Laura Philpot, all of which have been on this podcast here. Uh, It includes a Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books beach tote, a cute little library card pencil slash cosmetic case, and a water bottle for staying hydrated, plus a little um, thing of sun lotion. So go to pageonebooks.com, page one with the number one, so page number one books.com, and check out my page one book summer bundle. Buy it as a gift, a housewarming, if you actually go somewhere, or just give it to yourself. Everybody needs a treat. We've had a long spring. (laughs) Pageonebooks.com. Welcome to the third day of my July book blast. This is Beach Reads Wednesday, and I'll be releasing lots of episodes this week and next to get all these great beach reads out and also books that have come out during the quarantine or books that I think you just need to read at this time. And I just don't want you to miss these authors for any longer. So anyway, here are some great beach reads. Each episode this week will have a book that I think you should curl up with and read if you ever find the time. Elise Hooper is the author of Fast Girls, a novel about the 1936 women's Olympic teams. She's also the author of The Other Alcott and Learning to See. Elise is a native New Englander and spent several years writing for television and online news outlets before getting an MA and teaching high school literature and history. She currently lives in Seattle with her husband and two daughters. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, Elise. I'm excited to talk to you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Of course. So your latest book is about fast girls and the Olympic team. And tell me all the details. The first integrated women's Olympic team in 1936. Go. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, it actually even was 1830, 18, no, not 18, <laughs> 1932 is the year the first two African-American black women qualified. They didn't end up racing though. They qualified, they went to Los Angeles with a team and kind of one thing happened after another and they never got to race. So I went back and looked at, I was able to find times for everyone in the time trials and everything. And everyone's time, I mean, these women should have raced. So, you know, through one thing after another, I have just deduced it was it was not only racism, but it was sexism. I think their male coach just didn't take them very seriously. And so one thing after another. So this book has been about so much discovery for me. It began with my younger daughter is a swimmer. And in fourth grade, she had to pick a project to do a biography on, a, an American who was no longer alive. And she chose Gertrude Ederly. Do you know who Ederly is? I don't. I didn't either. Okay, good. Now I don't feel bad, but yes. <laughs> she was the first woman to swim the English Channel. She was a swimming champ from the 1924 Olympics. And it was her second try to cross the channel. And she became a huge celebrity at the time in the 20s. I mean, Woodrow Wilson called her America's best girl. And she, there were ticker tape parades in New York for her. She was a really big deal. Yet I had never heard of her at all. And so that really prompted me to wonder about other pioneering women athletes. I think we often kind of associate the passage of Title IX in 1972 as the beginning and Billie Jean King and some of these women who are still active in increasing women's participation in sports, but it really goes back much earlier. And so I started digging around and I have a background in running. I ran track in high school. I've run a few marathons, done lots of five, 10 Ks, all of that over the years. And I couldn't believe the stories I was finding about these women. And I just couldn't believe none of us knew anything about them. So it was just such a fun an amazing book. I mean, this has been such a great adventure to research these women, their stories alone during the 1930s and the Great Depression. And then you pile on the intrigue of the 1936 Olympics in Berlin with Adolf Hitler wants to meet one of these women at one point, invites her away for a weekend. I mean, it, it was just sort of crazy upon crazy upon crazy. And, and yet I had never heard any of this. But this is fiction. So you went back and made it historical fiction based on all of the things that you discovered. Exactly. These, you know, these women's lives were not documented nearly like, like Jesse Owens, for example, or something. There were a lot of gaps in the record, especially when it came to Louise Stokes, one of these black athletes who qualified in 32, again in 36. And so there was a lot of room to kind of do some imagining about what their lives were like, what their, especially their interior journeys were like, because you know, none of these women, you know, this was kind of a generation who didn't really speak about how they felt, right? The greatest generation just was living and surviving through hard times. And that's just the way life was. So there was a lot of room to create a story around these women. I also, well, Helen Stevens and Betty, so my three main characters are Helen Stevens, Betty, and Louise Stokes, they all kind of come together in 1936, but they, I had to sort of create some connections too between them to get them on this path. So, so there was definitely some moving around of things. And, and I write in my afterwards, kind of the changes I had to make to the historical record to, to make this flow more as a real story, but it's really hard to get three people's lives in different parts of the country to intersect in a way that kind of makes sense. So I think we forgive you then for the liberties. It's okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thanks. Oh, no problem. <laughs> how did you get all that research? Like, how did you do it? Were you in a library? Was this all Google? Like, how did you find everything? Well, thank God for the internet. I don't know what <laughs> historical fiction writers did before the internet. I was able to, I used newspapers.com. I read so many articles on newspapers.com and you can go, I mean, some papers, they go way back with, and I was able to find a ton in the 1920s and 30s. So many, in fact, that I really decided I needed to create some of my own newspaper stories for this book because I was really intrigued by how journalists were talking about these women, too. I feel like in Rio, that was a big topic of like how journalists spoke about women athletes, and there was a lot of kind of awakening to the double standards they were applying to men and women. And I mean, even around Serena Williams, you know, this sort of all this ooing and aahing over her comeback as a mom. I mean, I think she's been sort of annoyed by that, right? It <laughs> takes off. And so we've become more aware of this. But back in the 20s and 30s, it was crazy with journalists talking about the buxom gal in lane three on the track and just things that I wanted readers to really see and hear how these reporters were talking about them. So I ended up aggregating a lot of the language and tone used and kind of wrote my own articles to give readers a sense of that. And so newspapers were really big. I traveled to Missouri to visit the Helen Stevens collection at the Historical Society there, was able to like hold her track shoes and read her handwritten diary from Berlin. I went, I'd gone to Chicago, I went to Malden, Massachusetts, which is where Louise is from. And I was also able to connect with a few people who, like this one sports reporter out of Boston had written an article about Louise, which was really the most in-depth piece I had been able to find over about her over the decades. So I contacted him and he, oh my gosh, he, bless his heart, he has spent hours in the Malden Library going through microfiche and copying these articles. So, I mean, I owe my eyesight to him, really, because <laughs> I destroyed my eyes doing that. And he was generous enough to send me this big file he had accumulated on Louise over the years and, and allowed me to copy it and then send it back to him in Vermont. So I was able to just find some terrific sources. I, I talked to Helen Stevens' biographer. I talked to descendants of Betty Robinson, her daughter and granddaughter, to get information. So it was it's it really has been, I've really tapped into so many different things. The Olympics are always very well documented. I mean, there are actual films of these races. There are official reports. I mean, you know, the Nazis documented everything, amazingly enough, of course. So, I mean, I can look at schematics of all the different facilities and and read all their data about who came to the Olympics. So, if anything, there was so much information to be found. I kind of needed to figure out okay, what am I using here? Because it could be pretty overwhelming at points. And when did you, like, how did you get into writing and doing historical fiction? I know this is your third book already. How, like, how did that happen? Right. Well, I grew up right outside of Concord, Massachusetts, which is home of the Alcotts. And my first book was about the Alcotts. And I have to say that the Alcotts were a really formative part of my life, where I had grown up going to drama camp at Orchard House, which is the Alcott family home turned museum. And, you know, I'd seen the tiny little desk upstairs in Orchard House where Louisa wrote Little Women. And and this sounds so funny to us, but I, I mean, seeing that desk as like a nine-year-old is when I realized that people write books. They don't just kind of magically grow on bookshelves. And even just as a kid, I had been an avid reader. And that's when I knew, boy, this is something I would love to do someday. And it took me a while to get there. I had to almost sort of build up some courage. I worked in journalism for a little bit, but 
you know, eventually when my youngest daughter was heading off to kindergarten, I said, this is the year I'm going to try writing a novel I've always wanted to do. And so it's been a whirlwind since. So just writing, writing, writing right before we got on the phone. I'm working on a new book. And so I really love this. I mean, I have worked as a high school teacher for years and I just love learning new things and finding all these new people I had never heard about. That that to me is just so much fun. That's great. How old are all your kids now? I have two girls, almost 15 and almost 12. Okay. It's, it's nice to know there's more time for writing as they get older. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there is. <laughs> Tell me about your next book. What are you working? What is it about the one you're working on now? So, right. So it's actually kind of been crazy timing. I managed to fit in a trip to the Philippines right before kind of the world shut down. Because about a year ago, I started working on this book about the so-called Angels of Bataan. And that was a group of nurses during World War II, American nurses, who were kind of caught up in the Philippines at the outset of, um, right after Pearl Harbor is bombed. And eventually they're taken prisoner of war by the Japanese. And they have several extraordinary years in confinement where they continue to work the whole time. They really believed in the purpose of their job as getting them through these long, hard days. And so it's a really amazing story about perseverance. And, and these women were really on the front lines at some points, especially before they're obviously all captured. But it's a really great story of resilience. And, you know, I've been writing like crazy ever since the pandemic and because I'm taking a lot of comfort in sort of returning to a time when people faced really hard challenges and yet were able to persevere. I, I've taken a lot of comfort in that and, and sort of a sense of perspective. So for me, that's kind of how I've dealt with a lot of the challenges we've, we've had in the last few months is returning, going back to the past. Are there any books in particular that you feel like have gotten you through this time? I mean, yes, definitely. I really read a real range. I know one you had talked about, and I feel like everyone's been talking about, was Beach Read. That was kind of a fun one. It's, you know, I really, I feel like I'm bouncing around between a lot of kind of hard books, what I would consider kind of sad, or then fun one. I recently read Sourdough by Robin Sloan for, I'm in a local bookstore's book club out here where we knit and discuss the books. Awesome. Yeah. So that's really fun. I just read the guest book, which is definitely more serious. So I love memoir. So I feel like I've been kind of doing a little bit. Oh, I read Chanel Miller's memoir right at the beginning, which was actually possibly a really tough one to read right now. But I really have been kind of all over the map, like probably a lot of us have been. Yeah. I try to mix it up. Like if I read a memoir about like... I don't know, some personal challenge, then the next thing is historical fiction, or then I go to like, you know, maybe a self-helpy type book, and then I go to something else. I like to mix it up. I feel like I can't do back-to-back, like, of any same type, if I have the luxury. Now I'm preparing a lot of books all the time, so, but in my, you know, if it's vacation or something, (laughs) I like to I know, I know. And do you listen to books, too? Do you do audiobook? No, it's too slow. I read really quickly, and I tried listening, like, where you speed it up, but I can't understand it and process yeah. it fast enough. Plus I'm very like tactile. I don't know about you, but like, yeah. I like turn down the pages and this whole pandemic, I've actually, I was very against electronic books, 
but now like I've had to learn how to you know manage them and and now they have there are a lot of perks there too so I've gotten you know the highlighting and but I, I need to see it for me at least that's just how I learn and no, I'm with you. I've spent so much time though um, walking my dog and trying to get outdoors recently that I have been doing a lot of audiobooks. And, and so I kind of bounce around. I usually have a few different books going at different times in different forms. And that kind of helps me too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, I should say I like during summers where during periods of time where I'm driving a lot, I try to have a book yeah. like that I listen to in the car. Right. But if I'm at home, you know, not so, not as much. But. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and I read, oh, I, so, I, I read somewhere that you thought of yourself like more like you should have been born in the times of Laura Ingalls Wilder or something like that. And I loved that because as a kid, probably like many of us, I was obsessed with Little House on the Prairie and like had my dress that looked like, you know, Laura. And like, I just, I feel like I might have watched every episode of that show as a child. I don't think I had any limits on TV because <laughs> I consume, I like was the binge watching champion at like age, I don't know what, six, eight. <laughs> so I related I to your saying that. Did you watch that show all the time or just read the books or- Yes. I once even turned down an invitation to go to a Donnie and Marie Osmond concert because I did not want to miss Little House that night. I was a very dedicated viewer to Half Pint and everyone. Yeah. And I, I mean, I just, I think also maybe where I grew up with all this history around, I just loved, I really did feel like I was kind of born in the wrong time. Like I was always taking like dining room chairs and throwing sheets over them to make a covered wagon or Anne of Green Gables was a real, I mean, I really loved that book too. And really still need to go to Prince Edward Island to channel that. Yes. I loved all those books. And of course, Little Women and and all of Alcott's books were really important to me. So (laughs) yes, I definitely have that in common with you. (laughs) Do you have any advice to aspiring authors? I mean, I really came to writing as a reader. So my advice is always just to keep reading. I don't worry. So, I mean, I just love to read and learn more stories. And every time I pick up a book, I I learn something, no matter honestly what book it is. It can be way outside of my genre. I am picking up something on structure, on voice, on dialogue. So I would say to keep reading. I think some people say when I'm working on something I don't want to read, and I'm like, I can't relate to that at all. Boy, I, I just... Yeah, I have all these different books going. I am always looking to pick up new tricks. You should come to my virtual book club. I do like a a book club on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern time, but it's full of book lovers like like us. (laughs) Yeah, I just started it in the pandemic, but it turns out a lot of the authors I've interviewed come because we are all such big readers. So anyway, anyway, just thought I'd throw that out. But Fast Girls, congratulations. It sounds like it should be a movie, by the way. Has this been optioned yet? It's like- It hasn't been. I know it's been- sort of pitched around and hopefully it definitely has a very cinematic quality to it with these women. And I mean, the 1936 Olympics has that in general, I would say to it for sure. So fingers crossed because I mean, I, I just feel like I'm on a mission to make, help people know these women more. I just, I think their stories are so important and we can learn so much from them. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks for coming on Mom's Time Time to Read Books. And I'm really glad we connected and hopefully we'll meet in real life one day. (laughs) Yes, I know. Someday. Someday. Yes. Thank you so much, Zibby. I really appreciate all you're doing to connect all of us who love books. I think that's just so important these days. Thank you. I'm trying. (laughs) All right. Have a great day. You too. Take care. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for listening to a Beach Reads Wednesday episode from my big July book blast. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope you've enjoyed getting to know some of these amazing authors. 
Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at ZibbyOwens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much to Page One Books for sponsoring today's episode. I hope you'll all check out my summer beach bundle at pageonebooks.com. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.